This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name is Kat Gordon, and I head up the U.S. ESG and Energy Specialty Sales Effort here at UBS. And I'm joined by Shanur Shuni, head of America's ESG Research. In this episode, we are taking a high-level look at the impact of the Inflation Reduction Act, also known as the IRA. All right. Hi, Shanur. Let's get started. Hi, Kat. Thanks for having me. Of course. So, um, you know, you have been somewhat prolific in publishing reports on the recent IRA legislation. I think in one of your many notes, you use the word game changer on the climate front. Can you expand on why you think the IRA legislation is a game changer? So, I mean, the IRA legislation, if you just sort of start at the, unpack it from the beginning, at the end of the day, some of the estimates out there are for roughly $390 billion to $400 billion worth of potential spend. That on its own is is a pretty big number, but it also builds on the CHIPS Act, which was passed earlier this year, and the Jobs Act that was passed last year. Um, you know, when you sort of think about the cumulative effect of it, you're talking about close to a trillion dollars worth of spend. That's a big number, um, but it also builds on a lot of the state level initiatives. Um, people tend to forget about the states. They tend to focus on the federal government. Um, but you have states like California with their legislations and initiatives, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut. Um, and so you have to sort of think about all of those factors together. I mean, California on its own, I think I saw recently, is the fifth largest economy in the world. Um, and so what this legislation also did is it, it's broad-based. It, it sort of filled in a lot of gaps. It isn't like one specific thing, like we're focused on renewable energy. You've got credits about energy efficiency in there. You have um, focuses on EVs. You have focuses on carbon capture sequestration. You have obviously the renewables, production tax credits, investment tax credits. So it sort of fills in a a, a lot of gaps. The other things I would say is it's not punitive in nature. Um, You know, it's not about a tax per se. It rather uses carrots and that's kind of the American way. So there are a lot of you know, knock on incentives for corporations and consumers to spend. Um, I'd also point out that many of the credits are uncapped, which means all the numbers that you see floating out there are estimates. It it could potentially be higher than that. If, you know, when credits are uncapped, if if you get more spending, you can get higher impacts and and the numbers and the estimates could be much higher. Um, And so, you know, when you sort of think about this, you, you sort of get industry rolling their spending um, they can, you know, they're building capacity and so forth. They can sell to other markets around the world as well, too. Um, at the same time, energy prices are surging. Um, and to the point where the net present value of making energy transition spend or energy efficiency spend um, is also positive as well, too. So, you know, as you know, energy is a big input cost for, for many sectors. And so when you kind of put it all together, it sort of seems to, you know, tie a nice little bow in terms of all the initiatives that you've heard about over the last four to five years sort of coming together. And so that's why we think it's a game changer. Great overview. Thank you, Shanur. You know, utilities and renewables initially rallied when the legislation was announced. Is that the only area that investors should focus on? 
your note was encompassed quite a few other areas like industrials and energy. Can you expand on that? So, you know, industrials, as you just said, um, is definitely an area that I think that we think people should should actually spend a little bit more time focusing on. Um, you do. It makes sense that utilities and renewables um, rally right away. It's tangible, right? You said that we're going to do all this climate, so it's 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 there. We've had wind and solar production tax credits in the in the past. It's easier for investors to go and make assumptions, put them into their models, test out, and and see what's what's going on. And so it, it's just easier for them to connect the dots with respect to climate. Um, I think it's a little harder on the industrial side. Um, you know, there's when you sort of think about everything that's going on here, there's a lot of credits. Um, there's also high prices, as I just mentioned before, with respect to energy. And so, um, you know, there, there are credits across the board um, on the on, on saving energy side. So, you know, whether it's HVAC or pumps, um, there are a lot of investments that companies are going to need to make. Um, or can make, or or the NPV is now positive for, and so all these companies are going to be reviewing everything. And and once again, it's against a backdrop of higher energy costs and the, and the inputs as well too, and so they're going to be buying lots of equipment. Um, obviously, a lot of the industrials sell these types of equipment. Um, there's also going to be build of new types of facilities and so forth. So you have the engineering and construction companies are going to be involved in this as well too. And that's a dot that's a little harder to connect. Um, and so I think you know people are still feeling their way around with respect to it. But you know that that's definitely an area where I think that, that folks um, may want to spend a little bit more time on and thinking about. Are there parts of the legislation that remain underappreciated? There's lots. I mean, it's what, 290 pages, the legislation. Um, there are things that I thought I knew it when we first crafted the first note, and then there was more than we learned on the second note and the third note. And, and frankly, you know, it's the rules aren't completely fully written out. So, you know, one area that got a lot of attention was the EV tax credits. And there was press reports, you know, well, all the EV companies are just going to raise the price of the cars and so forth. This is really a benefit. You know, there's a, a lot of a noise around it. But, you know, one of the areas that didn't get attention was the used car credit. Um, if you think about it, a lot of cars in the United States are sold as, um, or they're not really sold, they're leased. Um, and so the value in a lease or, or the way a lease is, is constructed, you have the residual value of the car. And you know now we suddenly have a credit for $4,000 for used cars. You just sort of in, increase the value on the used car market. So you, you know that will be reflected in the lease as well too. So it's not just the upfront credit, but it's also the value of what it's done to the residual markets for, for EVs as well. Also, um, you know, and, and further, it helps address questions that people have, you know, do I really want to buy an EV that's three years old or four years old when you consider the fact that, um, you know, you, you you know, it's a new technology at the end of the day, right? It's not as comfortable and so forth. So, you know, that that's kind of an example of it. Um, you know, other things, um, there was carbon capture and sequestration credits, um, direct air capture credit, hydrogen credits. I mean, there's, there's a lot um, in there, even charging infrastructure. You know, we talked about the EVs. Um, you know, there's obviously support for it here, but there is actually support for it in the other bills as well, too. Um, and so, you know, the, the point is, is that there's there's credits all over the place. There were credits for homes, for energy star ratings, for home builders and so forth. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to unpack here and, and a lot that remains underappreciated. 
Senator, you know, as you mentioned, it's a very lengthy report. In, in your opinion, you think there are several parts that are underappreciated. I know you've been meeting with a lot of both U.S. and European investors. You were marketing in Europe a few weeks ago. If, you know, what is the feedback from investors? Do you think it's underappreciated by them? Yeah, I, I mean, underappreciated is an interesting word. I mean, it was literally the first question in, in every meeting. Um, everybody wants to know more about the Inflation Reduction Act. They want to know how it works, who's going to benefit, and, and so forth. Um, so it has clearly been topical, right? All across the Americas, you know, US, Canada, Europe, um, still getting questions um, continuously. Um, that being said, you know, when you know, I was asked similar types of questions in the meetings and I responded with industrials, um, the answer was always, huh? Um, you know, and it was sort of reflective of, you know, they expected, you know, me to talk, be talking about solar and, and wind and so forth. And, and obviously that, that's a big part of it. But it, you know, the, the, the discussion around the industrials um, really caught some people by surprise or, or I was asked to expand on it a bit more. Uh, and, and, you know, it made sense as we had the discussion or you can see it in their eyes and so forth. Um, but it, it, it's, you know, they were just like, oh, yeah, that that makes total sense. There's this credit, there's this credit, this credit, this will sell this. Um, you know, energy prices are surging. We'll, I can see an energy transition or energy efficiency type of spend. Uh, so investors are, are getting it. But, it, you know, it's certainly, you know, they haven't really like been able to tangibly put it into their models the same way. Uh, they do with with respect to the renewable space, which is, you know, obviously has a big lead um, in terms of people's focus with respect to climate. Yeah, it makes sense that it's going to take some time for investors to do the work. You mentioned uh, carbon capture and sequestration earlier. You know, CCS has been talked about for years. Does it finally come to fruition now? Yes, uh, I guess is the short answer. Um, you know, you'd ask me just before about, you know, how the marketing meetings are going. The second question was about carbon capture and sequestration. Um, there are different opinions about carbon capture and sequestration in different regions of the world. Um, the U.S. has definitely been very interested in it, you know, and, and as you, you just sort of intimated in your question, we've been talking about it for some time. Um, Europe a little less so. Um, the reason it's been kind of interesting here is, is that we've had the 45Q credits for, for some time. Um, it's a, it was $45 to $50. Um, in the U.S., you have geology uh, from a well perspective where you can actually store um, carbon in, in a saline aquifer. And, and frankly, this is not something new. We've been injecting carbon into the ground for a long time, um, in probably over 30 years, and it's been used for enhanced oil recovery. So it's, it's not like it's this brand new shiny technology. This is, you know, an old school technology that, that's been around. We have the geology here in the United States for it. Other areas of the world um, does not. Um, we had done a, uh, a 101 report on car uh, carbon capture and sequestration probably about two years ago. And the conclusion was like 45 bucks to 50 bucks was kind of interesting, but it was really only in unique circumstances where it actually worked. Um, so there's sort of the cost of the capturing the carbon and there's the cost of sequestering the carbon. You know, it's a, your return of and on capital is about $25 to, to capture it. And it's probably about 15 to $20 to sequester it. I mean, the estimates do vary, but so 
with the old credit system, it meant that you basically had to sequester the carbon pretty much on site or pretty close to it. Um, there's a cost in transporting it, um, and you know there just wasn't enough dollars in that credit to really move it that far. You know, when we had spoken to a lot of ind industry participants in the past, you know, $85 was kind of the number that was thrown around, and magically enough, inside this act, it's $85. What that does is it gives you room to be able to move. Uh, the carbon, you know, a distance of, you know, 100, 150, maybe even 200 miles and still be able to, um, you know, recover your cost of capital um, and, and earn a return on the investment as well, too. So when you think about the U.S. Gulf Coast, where we have a lot of manufacturing capacity there, a lot of tailpipes that we can put carbon capture technology on, um, you know, and I'm not talking about using it on a coal plant. I'm talking about on something that's a hard to abate industry, let's say like cement, for example. We need it, um, you know, so how do we capture that carbon. Um, so you have a lot of tailpipes there and a lot of the, the energy patch is fairly close by. And so, you know, the the numbers are starting to come together where it starts to get more interesting. It's, you know, potentially past the experimentation stage. So um, the short answer to your original question is yes, um, we may finally actually be on the on the threshold of it actually working and and, and, and seeing more of it. Do you have an opinion on on when this will start, you know, getting into the numbers when investors are modeling? So with respect to carbon capture and sequestration, um, I would say that um, it's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, there are only two class six wells per currently permitted in the United States right now. We do need more wells. Um, that does take time. There's a primacy issue um, and, you know, that that probably takes two, two years at this point right now once primacy changes. So it will take some time for that to ramp up. Obviously, there's capital that needs to be spent and so forth. Um, so that's a little bit later. But if your question was more about just in general, the IRA getting into numbers and the whole discussion that we had about the industrials, well, um, you know, right now, obviously, the agencies are writing the rules and regs post-legislation. Um, more and more information should be coming out, um, you know, in the next few months. And so I would expect that, you know, uh, and we certainly heard this on the fourth quarter, uh, sorry, on the third quarter conference calls, you know, companies were talking about it, that you'll probably get better, more clarity probably with the fourth quarter earnings season uh, when they start to provide 2023 um, guidance. In consulting with the analysts who helped me um, in this effort here, um, for example, our, our industrial team, you know, Steve Fisher and Chris Snyder, um, their expectation is that you probably won't see the positive earnings revisions, um, you know, or, or, imp or manifest itself into the numbers until, you know, kind of second half 23 um, and into 24. It doesn't mean they won't be talking about it at the beginning of the year, just that their guidance might actually start to reflect the positive impacts of, of the IRA legislation in their uh, 2023 and 2024 numbers, um, and probably more the second half of 23. Since you mentioned 3Q earnings calls, I know you recently put out an ESG recap from those. Perhaps we can dive in a little bit to more of the specifics around um, you know, what companies were saying about the IRA and, and what they're excited about. Sure. So, yeah, we, we did just publish a, uh, a third quarter earnings recap from it's basically a, a report looking at an earnings season through an ESG lens. Um, and in the report, we did discuss the IRA. Um, companies were definitely talking about it. 
Um, and if you think about it, it's a different narrative and backdrop versus what's going on in the broader market, right? You have all these companies talking about caution on 2023, some of them are taking numbers down and so forth, and you have this little pocket area here uh, with respect to the IRA where, you know, it's something positive, right? Because of all the spending tailwinds um, that are behind it. So most of the companies have basically, um, you know, they've, they they basically said, we're excited about it. We're figuring it out. We're still waiting for some guidance for the government and so forth. Um, a lot of stay tuned for 2020, you know, 2023, like early 23, um, you know, during the guidance season and so forth. Um, but generally speaking, there, you know, that was really the a nice source of optimism um, in terms of their conversations. Um, so I'd say that 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 that's probably you know kind of the key takeaway at this point. So we're probably um, going to have a lot more to write uh, post the the fourth quarter earnings season, or maybe with the investor days leading up to the fourth quarter earnings season. So um, that's our key takeaways. You know, Shanur, I feel like we could spend all day talking about the IRA, and and certainly it sounds like more to come here. Um, but you know, for now, uh, we're out of time. But I just want to thank you, um, everybody, for listening in and visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub. That was an introduction overview of the Inflation Reduction Act with me, Kat Gordon, and Shanur Gershuni. If you have any questions, need a copy of the research reports we discussed, or want to unpack anything in more detail feel free to reach out to myself. And be sure to tune in again for more investment insights. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content and has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regular or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written permission. Copyright UBS 2022. The key symbol and UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.